Hey there, friends. My name is Kyle Devlin, and this is Having a Blast. Having a Blast is a pop punk, punk rock, and emo podcast where we're going to be discussing all things punk rock ethos and personal development and the parallels within. We'll also be doing some deep dives on important albums and bands. I'm going to be talking to band members, producers, and a bunch of my friends. And I want to know what makes these people tick. How has being self-motivated moved them in the direction of their goals? We're going to have a lot of fun finding out. So without further ado, let's get into it. friends, welcome to the show. This is Having a Blast. I'm your host, Kyle Devlin. On today's episode, I'm extremely excited to be chatting with Mr. Kevin Sanders, drummer for the pop rock, pop punk band, Cartel. Cartel is from Conyers, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. And we talk about a lot in this convo. We talk about the early days of the band, linking up with producers Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount. We talk about Chroma, the MTV experiment, major labels, and what it's like to have a legacy as a band in general, but also as a band within the subculture that is emo. We talk about being a band, doing things on its own terms and having fun in the process. They've got a great new single out called 17, so be sure to check that out. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I've been a fan of the band for almost 20 years now, and talking to Kevin felt like talking to a friend, a very down-to-earth, thoughtful dude. I think you'll enjoy this one. So without any further ramblings on my end, please enjoy this multifaceted chat with Mr. Kevin Sanders of Cartel. No, no worries at all, my man. You're good. Actually, I just did an interview. I don't normally do two interviews in one day, but it just happened to work out that day, but he was doing it on his phone as well. So it's all good. Is there a way to do this where it comes through my phone, like a phone call? Is that a thing? I'm pretty sure there is a way. I've, I've never done it that way, but oh, I got that's it. I think I got essentially it. kind of what this is, similar to what you're doing right now. Yeah. Except can you hear me now? Does uh-huh. this work? Yeah. yeah, I can hear you fine. Oh, yeah. Your audio sounds yeah. good. Yeah, It. Um. all you gotta do is turn off the speaker and it goes right to your phone. Cool, good to know. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I'm a bit of a pacer, so. It's all good, my man, I am too. I'm down in my office in my basement. Sometimes the Wi-Fi is a little spotty. If I lose you, I'll just hit you up. We'll get right back Okay, yeah, no worries. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this today, man. Thank you for giving me your time today. Of course, thanks for hitting me up. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited when I heard New Cartel, as I'm sure a lot of people are. Where are you (laughs) located, if you don't mind me asking? You said you were Uh, in a simple time zone. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Nashville. Oh, cool, radical. I was just there. I was there two weeks ago. Oh, no shit. Where were you? So I was, I'm not exactly sure where in Nashville she lives, but my fiance, her best friend lives in Nashville. I want to say it's closer to East Nashville. That's where where we were hanging out. So, okay. Yeah. We got there quite a bit. Yeah, dude. I love Uh, that town. Did you go to any bars or anything? We did not. We have made the rounds at several places in Nashville before. This was a very quick stop. We were originally going because... My fiance, Pamela, she loves Riot Girl music and she grew up on Bikini Kill and we were going to go see Bikini yeah. Kill in Nashville and the last minute they canceled the show. So we just decided. No. Yeah, it was a bummer. I'm sorry. But we decided to go anyways because her best friend lives there. So that's cool. Where are you guys located? I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. That's where I'm at okay. right now. 
Nice. Yeah. So a nice little Midwest spot, but I always forget that Nashville isn't East coast time. It's central. Yeah. You would think cause like Chattanooga or parts of Chattanooga are on Eastern, but yeah, yeah, I know that shit makes sense. Is Lawrence, it's Lawrence where the Granada theater is. Is that where that is? It is. It's one Look and the me. same. Yeah. That was actually Look the last me. place I saw cartel. Oh, fuck yeah. I love that yeah. place. I love that little town and all like the urban used to be across the street or still is or whatever. And then there's like yeah. all kinds of that whole strip. Yeah, no, it still is. Yeah. My good friend, Nate Harold used to work there. So I used to hang out there all the time when he worked there and he's a musician as well. Yeah. Well, Lawrence I had a friend that worked at an urban. Very cool. Yeah. Lawrence is a cool little town. I'm from Kansas city and Kansas city is about 45 minutes away and they each okay. have their own music venues. So I've been coming here since I was a kid, since I was 15, 16 years old, coming to shows out here. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. The last time I saw you guys play, I'm pretty sure it was the 10 year crema tour in 2015. Okay. Yeah. That would, would, I mean, that's the last time we toured. We did the one and only Warp Tour cruise in 2017. Yeah. And then we did, we had planned some festivals for like 2020. And then of course that all happened. Um, then you know that happened like a year and a half later so okay yes then we played we played two shows at the end of 21 mm-hmm. was that chain fest yeah yeah we did okay. chain fest and furnace fest so one was in west coast one was now over in alabama cool and so that was fun yeah two amazing festivals two great lineups yeah very yeah. stacked yeah i would have very much enjoyed going to that chain fest that was a killer lineup are you guys playing furnace fest this year or we are not we're very we're very close with one of the organizers which is kind of crazy how that all happened because it was pre-covid and one of the organizers lives in Nashville and he was like, Hey, like I was at, I kind of own and operate a bar with some friends and he was at my bar and I was like, he's like, would you, he's like, do you remember Furnace Fest? He's like, yeah, I went to the last one, like, you know, 16, 17 years ago. And he's like, would you be interested in like, would Cartel want to do a Furnace Fest thing? And I was like, well, I mean, we're not really doing things, but I don't know, maybe. And then sure as hell it happened, you know, three years later, but it happened. So crazy. Yeah. I'm glad it did finally come to fruition. It was a killer. Yeah, I was worried that I was worried that a lot of those shows that were booked pre-COVID that kept getting pushed for whatever reason. I mean, I was surprised as many of them happened versus the alternative. So yeah. I think everyone looked out. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of the Granada last night, Motion City Soundtrack played. And I think oh, they nice. were supposed, yeah, they were supposed to play, I'm pretty sure in 2020 for the 15 your anniversary of that second record that they put out. Yeah. And that got postponed a couple of times, but yeah, it was, I saw videos from the show and there was a ton of people there. So I think That's awesome. yeah, people are definitely ready to get back in venues. I, yeah. The thing you're, you're hearing about is like, it's impossible to find like coaches and stuff for like everything, like everyone's on tour if they can be. So Like it is just, it's pandemonium out there right now, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I have two very loose connections with your band cartel. I'm a big fan of your band for context. I've played band stuff and I've been listening to you guys since the first official EP, the ransom EP back in 2004, but I have two loose connections with the band. And one is that I was in a band that recorded with Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount in Atlanta. Yeah. And talked about you guys quite a bit out there. We recorded in 2008. So it was a little while after you guys had recorded your second record. Yeah. And I also happen to know Rory Felton of Militia Group. Of Militia Group. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's from Kansas City. That's right. Yeah. So he played in a band with 
my very first guitar player, the band that I was in. So I remember seeing their band play and I remember going to shows and seeing him at shows all the time and talking to him. Yeah, he um, he ended up, we were just kind of getting out and about. Would He's like, hey, I'm from Kansas City. There's this drum company out here, you know, CNC. He's like, I drew, he's like, I grew up with the owner's son. And I was like, no shit. And so he put me in touch with Jake and Bill Cardwell from CNC. And unless that's like how I got like my first custom kit was through them. Right. That's right. Yeah. I think I remember seeing you playing a CNC kit. That's rad. That's very cool. Yeah. They're very well known in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great dudes. I was going to ask, how did you guys link up with Matt Goldman originally? Because he's the one who did the Ransom EP, right? Right. Was he, it just proximity? Um, Were you guys near him or? A little bit like... I mean, kind of connected through our guitar player at the time. So our founding guitar player, Andy Lee, had recorded, I think he had recorded with them and also had recorded with Zach and Kenneth. So like was kind of the connection there. And then Copeland, Copeland recorded with him and Andy was close with Copeland, which is kind of how we were like, well, let's go record an EP there. And through his Copeland connection was kind of how he had met Rory. Okay. And so, you know, as much as you want to think that you didn't have to know your friend to get you the job, he had already met Rory Felton through being close with Copeland. So it was like, we did have a semi-direct line of sight to a, you know, a label. So we were like, hey, this is our EP we just recorded. He was like, oh, geez. He's like, can you can you do more of this? And we're like, <laughs> we hope so. Yeah, I'm sure. And so that was when like they pretty much were like, well, we'll take it. Let's throw two more songs on there and let's, let's do this thing. Were those the two acoustic tracks? The yeah. Live tracks? Okay. Yeah, the kind of stuff at the very end. We had done five songs, and so he threw Fiend and I think one other song, and um, was kind of how that became a thing. And, and then they just they just stamped their name on the back and went to town. But yeah, Goldman was awesome because he's a drummer, so like recording with a drummer was great. And I we had never really done a lot of click track stuff, mm-hmm. and so like that was you know ironing some songs out to a metronome and getting on a metronome was was the start there and but no that was a, he's he's great to work with i've heard that and that ep still sounds amazing those songs yeah, I, pop up on shuffle all the time and i'm like man this record still sounds really really good including the so, drums yeah drums someone sent me someone was like oh man like remember this song and i was like i, ha- I someone's like oh it sounds like this and i was like to be honest i'd forgotten what one of the songs sounded like i didn't remember how it started and i was like oh no you know like i'm gonna roll and run back through this and i played it and i was like wow what a flashback but also at the same time very still very proud of the way that record sounded you know, yeah. to be our first thing and to been recorded God, so many years ago. I was like, this is, this is fine. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Those Copeland records, I mean, all the records they've done, the early three on militia groups still sound great too. The drums sound huge. I was listening to In Motion the other day. I hadn't heard that yeah. record in a while and I love that record, but the drums specifically just sound huge. Yeah. That record how did you, great. I was going to ask you, how did you guys link up with Zach and Ken ultimately? So you, you had a connection through your guitar player, but yeah. I, so I our feel like... guitar player was kind of like he had, he had kind of recorded with both or knew of both. I think he had, I think he knew of Matt through Copeland and then knew of Zach and Kenneth through recording his old band, which was called two week notice okay. and local Atlanta band that we had kind of we had known about as there's only so many suburbs of Atlanta and so many kids that are making bands and so many bands that actually record a record and so many ones that are actually decent. So like the talent pool, you know, cream rises to the top kind of thing. So yeah, it, he was like, Oh, there, there, there's these guys, Zach and Ken, and we just need to do a record. And so it was like, well, let's go with these guys. And so they were still very young at that time. They were almost interns, mm-hmm. you know? So like they were, they had been interning. So we were like one of their first projects. 
that like they produced and engineered. Yeah, I thought, yeah, um, I thought it was like their first collaboration was the cartel record. Was yeah, crying. like we were, they were like, hey, like, you know, like we need people. They're like, well, we need, a, we need to work too. So we're like, let's go. And, and so did we, you guys record one song as a test? I feel like I remember them telling me that. Maybe there yes, was. Yes, there was. We did, there's a couple of little side studios. We recorded a place called Tree Sound in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's where we recorded. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's such a cool studio or just building of studios. But we were often kind of one of the side wings just doing, we tracked, we tracked Save Us. We did Honestly first. There was like a track. We recorded Honestly at some point and had it. And we were like, oh man, like this sounds like a real song that could do real things. And then from there we recorded Save Us in a different key. Okay. So it was like, it was a, it was like a whole step higher or something. And Will was like, it's too high. But if you, <laughs> but if you ever get to hear that version, I mean, he is he's young and he is just belting it out. And so it sounds, it sounds really emotional because it's like, I feel like the higher Will gets in his register, the better he sounds. <laughs> um, but that yeah, it comes it, out. It, yeah. It just, the more he pushes it, I mean, it's like, it's like an engine, you know, like I don't want to hear a V10 or a V12 at, at 2000 RPM. I want to hear it at 9,000 and it just <laughs> like, that's when it really sings. So, but yeah, we did a, a few songs leading up to that, to like actually tracking. And then we went into studio 11 at tree sound and did the whole record in like 19 days, 17 days, 19 days, wow. something like that. Yeah, we That's were awesome. we were on the move, but I mean, we had also been we were rehearsing in my childhood bedroom, and we had done pre-production with Zach and Ken, like in my bedroom, you know, kind of things where we're playing everything, and they're like, "Let's go to the hi hat here, let's do this here." And it was kind of like just really like I always called it like bumper bowling, mm-hmm. like we're throwing strikes, and they're like, eh, "Just a little nudge, there you go." And then so we were really well, we had a really good sense of what we wanted to do when we got in there, and of course, time is money all the time, but especially when you're starting out and you really got to know what you're doing. Like you don't get to go in the studio and then figure it out. So we moved fast. You guys probably felt a little bit, I would imagine there was some confidence though, after doing two home runs, you had honestly and save us. I would imagine that was when it sort of solidified. Okay. These are the guys we need to make the record with. Yeah. There, I mean, like, I mean, you, you've experienced no one's, they've just got that touch of just quiet confidence, you know, and you want to get things right and you want to experiment and you want to try everything. And I think they're really good. Zach and Kenneth are really good about instilling confidence in the person who's playing. You know, I think they're really diplomatic in how discussions and decisions get made, you know, like they're very good at that. Not only are they amazing, like, you know, engineers, but when it comes to all of the little the little things that that are the recording process, their energy and them as a team was always what was like, well, I believe we can do it. They believe we can do it. And they're good at helping us navigate the process to get there. Absolutely. So like, yeah, I mean, there it definitely was, I mean, a collaborative team effort to kind of all, I mean, it felt like it was the right recipe for sure. Absolutely. You guys made a classic record. I think one that it's stood the test of time very well. I think that's a record that comes up a lot when I'm talking music with a lot of my friends from that time period. And yeah. You mentioned energy with Zach and Ken. It helps that they're two of the nicest guys ever. <laughs> I mean, oh, they're, yeah. they're a lot of fun to hang out with and they're just really fun. I don't think I've ever seen them argue or even have any semblance exactly. of them. They just I work really well together and they kind of have there's, each other. There's really no, yeah, there's really no negativity. You know, like they, they aren't bickering. They will go as long as you want to go They're Again, they're just so relaxed in the environment that, you know, any artist or performer could be uptight in 
And so I think they get everyone to loosen up really well, you know, Mm -hmm. or just everyone gets really comfortable. And then I think when you're comfortable, that allows everything to really happen naturally. Yeah. Yeah. You can create some pure art there and just let inspiration hit you guys. I'm sure you recorded in the cave. We did. We did. The drums for Chroma were done in the cave. Uh-huh. And more importantly, the drums for Minstrel's Prayer were done in the cave. Rad. Okay. It's crazy, but do you ever think that maybe you were the template for a lot of drummers after that? I mean, I feel like we were talking about the Chroma drums when we were there. And this is three, four years after. <laughs> you know, it's it's tough to say because I mean, I think every player does does their thing. You know, like I think every band and probably every musician is is ultimately a hybrid. And some people wind up being good enough to, you know, it's almost like every dog's a mutt until you say that that's a pure breed. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like everything's kind of a mix until you say that we're going to stop right there and then just breed that one thing. Some people break through and become a big cornerstone of playing. I don't think I was that per se, but I mean, I think everyone just kind of follows. I mean, in the end, playing is such an instinctual thing. You just go, well, this is, this is what I heard. This is what my gut feels. And this is what my body thinks is natural to accompany this piece of music. It's almost the same reason why, like, if the guys want to do solo projects, like I moved to Nashville and was like, hey, man, like I'm doing a solo project and like our buddy's going to play drums on it. And I said, okay. He's like, oh, you're cool. And I was like, dude, the moment you and I get in a room and then let's say Joseph gets in the same room, it's just going to sound like cartel. I don't care what, <laughs> what you wrote. Like, this is... This is what these elements create. Right. But no, I mean, I think, you know, the collaborative effort that was Chroma from the rhythmic side of things, you know, like most any musician has an influence on that, whether it's the ideas I had, the ideas that Will heard, and we just did our thing. And if it landed, you know, so be it. I think there were a lot of really cool, you try to create parts that you could play a drum part and everyone knows what song it is. Like if I played the intro to Settle Down, you know, like you know what song is coming just off the drum beat. Absolutely. You don't get to always craft a creative beat every time for a song, but it was cool to have one or two, whether it was the double hits of Minstrel's Prayer or the intro to the Settle Down. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was cool. I wanted to ask about Q&A, the last two tracks in particular, because it resembles the idea that you guys had some creative space. You said you did it in 17, 19 days. Either way, that's a pretty quick turnaround time. So was Q&A, was that something where you guys went in to record the initial parts and then Zach and Ken got to have a lot more fun in the editing stage for those two? Because those two songs in particular, they remind me of creatively like a song, like the last song on Clarity, Goodbye Sky Harbor, where there's a lot of really that's exactly where it came from okay cool (laughs) so i mean if i mean like i would tell jimmy world that you know i'd be like hey like this that is our goodbye sky harbor i love it we were huge fans of clarity and loved that idea and the way that they took that i think that we had the concept of the two-part two song a b kind of idea i would say that answer was definitely not or a was definitely not written as much as it was templated you know it was like well this is what we kind of want to do i think we some of us like will and i grew up in like church music or plays you know and the thing that we kind of didn't hear a lot of was reprises you know you didn't you didn't get a lot of that and so we thought it was really fun to kind of bring back other melodies from the record into a song and see how you could combine them yeah so it was a little bit of playing off of 
some music history in our lives, as well as, like you said, getting a few minutes of experimentation, adding in some like digit, more digital, you know, artificial elements, computer elements that would open the door to do any more of it. You know, like you can always yeah. kind of say, oh, here's a, here's a little test of it. Like it's not a whole record of electronic stuff, but nonetheless, here's a little thing of where it, it could go someday. But I remember towards the end of it, like once Q was done, you know, and then you've got six or seven minutes of A into it. That was pretty much Will. A lot of that was Will kind of sitting down and Joseph really doing the work there. Mm-hmm. Zach and Kenneth had their high school buddy come record the trumpet or, oh, cool. and that was really cool. I remember Will just sitting in a computer outside of Studio 11, just like kind of going nuts. <laughs> I bet that was fun. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a super cool moment for him. I mean, I think just watching them compile that and just hearing it for us, we were like, man, this is such a like, this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like, like you said, it was like, it was like Goodbye Sky Harbor was such an influence. And we just loved the way that ended. So we thought as an ending to a record, you know, like with reprising and just the beat, and then the record, like start and intro kind of sound was just, I don't know. We just were like, this sounds cool. Yeah, it was epic for lack of a better term. I know some people right, don't know, but yeah, <laughs> definitely an epic closer. It's one that I never skip. It always comes up on shuffle, one of those two songs and it's always nice. I'm a personal trainer by trade. So I have a small nice. studio space and I'm playing music in there a lot. And those songs, they pop up on shuffle quite a bit, which is always fun. And you mentioned reprisal with the bringing back of the melodies. I've heard that a few times over the years and I always think you guys inspired that a little bit. There's a punchline record. I think it's delightfully pleased. He does the same thing. Steve pulls some of the melodies from some of the other songs in the record and they put it at the end. Yeah. And I just think that's a really cool thing to do. I don't know. It does kind of remind me of sort of like being in a theater where you're watching a play and they're, they're bringing yes. back moments it's, of the show. It's definitely that, you know, like we got it from that. We had grown up in elements of like being around music theater, I think for most of our lives. And it was in a musical element that we hadn't seen a lot of in commercial music, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we trying to think where we were on like the influential side you know the receiving end of sirens had done a good bit of it as well yeah that first record with 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 between the heart and the synapse like that record was i mean still one of my favorite records to this day and uh, they they were really good about combining melodies reprising melodies and i think if probably got some of that idea from them which was just awesome but did you guys tour with them we did we toured with them twice I thought you did. I think I saw you guys. I think I saw you guys at the creepy crawl with them yeah. in St. Louis. Yeah, we I, we loved them. Like they were really good. I mean, like anyone that you tour with kind of on your way up always holds a special place because you're both seemingly going through the same unreal experience, you know, Absolutely. versus like meeting people that are on the reactionary side or on like the plateau. You know, like, oh, I met you and your band was doing well and my band's doing well. And you kind of just are like, okay, cool. It is what it is. Yeah, I think, you know, it's tough to say, like, I think it's cool that we did a record very like platonic and natural to us in terms of where we were, what we wanted to do and getting our first opportunity, real opportunity. And then I I would say to see how many people wound up going to Zach and Kenneth is where I hold that being complimentary to us. You know, it's hard to... It's hard to look at who recorded what at a certain time after and see what they picked up or what they borrowed or what inspired the people. And, you know, if any of it landed, I'm, you know, we're very flattered. But looking at how many people within our genre wound up with them Mm -hmm. to kind of capture. And again, and that's not saying that like, that's not like we gave the world's eye and Kenneth, they did a great job with us. And then like kind of Mayday went in there and then all, you know, all time low went there. We had the in crowd went in there and like, all in 
And even when when Mayday was going back to, you know, they kind of did a lap and did some different producers and engineers and then wound up back with Zach again, you know, because of just yeah. how comfortable and I think natural the process is. So yeah, to kind of answer your long question, it's like for a long answer, it's I look back, I don't know what elements that we did that people might have copied or complimented because some of them are we copied or, you know, or borrowed ourselves. But, you know, I think that so many people wound up going to the same individuals to hopefully capture similar magic was the most complimentary aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I know that was definitely something that we were incredibly excited about. I think one of us emailed Kenneth on a whim and he emailed us back and the prospect of working with them, we were all big fans of Cartel. I don't think we had heard the Mayday record yet. I think we... They had recorded it already, but we were excited about the prospect of just getting tones anywhere near Chroma because it was a record that we all enjoyed and that we all listened to. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a lot of other bands. I mean, there were so many other bands that were working with Zach and Ken around that same time. I remember when we first went there, they were mixing that Hit the Lights record that they were doing. That's right. It was a really exciting time for them. They were working on a lot of really cool, big projects around that time. So it was exciting for sure. And you're right, Mini Parade. I've heard Derek, their singer, mention that they feel incredibly comfortable with them. So they just keep going back. And yeah, so very cool. I wanted to ask you too, and I'm sure you've probably talked about this a lot. I've heard Will mention this in interviews and things. You guys, for your second official full length, before we go there, was Chroma, was that re-released on Epic? Did they? It was. License. Okay. I thought so. Okay. And then you guys went in to do your second full length also with Zach and Ken, but this was recorded in a bit of an experiment on MTV called band in a bubble. And this was 2007. Right. Can you speak to that a little bit and how that came to be? Yeah. I mean, in the, it's weird, like the timelines with a record that gets upstreamed is, you know, you kind of give birth to this thing and then like six, you know, or eight months later, it gets re-released and sort of relaunched. So there's basically two timelines. Mm-hmm. And so you've got your original, you know, your, your original fans being like, we want new music. And you've got, you know, new fans being like, this is great. We want to keep marinating in this chroma record. Sure. Meanwhile, you're playing at that point in the major leagues, if you will. And so it is a different, it's a different level of competition. It is a different ball game. And so you are kind of already thinking about the next thing. And since you're trying to either create new magic, you kind of are in a position to one up everything you've ever done. And that doesn't just mean musically, you know, it's just kind of like what's accompanying the whole band, you know, the whole brand, if you will. So it kind of got tossed in the pipeline or down the pipeline. And, I, and originally, like, I think we'd heard about the band that a bubble thing through some of our label or, and like we heard that like my like motion city soundtrack was up for it. Okay. And they had turned, they had turned it down. And I think due to kind of like vocal censorship, we were always a clean band because Will was such a, Will was always a great writer or linguist, if you will. And he always like, if I have to cuss, I'm just not saying the words right, you know? Yeah, for sure. And and we always thought that he won't lose a listener for not cussing, but you could lose someone for it. So we didn't want to be necessarily ex- exclusive. But yeah, it kind of got sent down the pipeline and we were like, well, I mean, why not? We're incredibly close. We already live in close quarters. This isn't going to be traumatic. If anything, the impetus of the show you know, like trying to expose people to the recording process and the creative process is one that I think people are still curious of. It's still kind of this, what goes on in there? Almost like how, you know, like how do you make the magic? And so why not take you and your best friends and give an, take an opportunity to maybe expose that to your fans, your fan base or other people that want to know and then create, you know, more fans. 
Absolutely. So that was kind of like how that started. Yeah. And I remember around that time, there was a lot of bands who were beginning to live stream their recording. And I remember there was even a period of time where they would live stream it in real time and it would be muted. I think MXPX, they put out a record in 2007 when this record came out and they live streamed the whole thing, but it was on silent. So you could watch it. This is before much more ubiquitous now, but it was before all of that. And it was sort of voyeuristic. You were watching them walk in and out of frame, but I've always loved that stuff. I think people in bands and and music fans alike, they want to be able to step behind the scenes a little bit. And you're right. Yeah. hundred percent. Like we had, I had watched, I think, I think Newfound Glory was doing their second record. Sticks and Stones, and they were live streaming it, but you're right, with no sound. You know, I definitely understand, you know, the corny, gimmicky aspects of how the show wound up becoming or coming across, especially in the sense that, like, as a band, we're a comedy, and the show wound up, what they wanted was was a drama. And so those are very two, it's a very big disconnect. Yeah. And, you know, so... They wanted you guys um, to fight on camera, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and again, like they wanted, you know, at that time, like they they wanted to sell the real world, and we wanted to give them Robin Big, if you yeah. will. Yeah. So, just two very different tones to a show, and you know, like again, it's something that you learn about as a as a young person going through that. Like what you would change in hindsight would probably be some more production, like producing, say, like you know, fight for more things like that. Versus like letting these people who are running a show that you've ultimately signed up for have a little bit more control of the tone of the show. Yeah. You know, like you, you kind of just thought, well, if we give them a good time, that's what they're going to make is a good time versus it being a drama and that's what they're looking for or just it being taken the wrong way. But I mean, it was still, we all look back on that experience like fondly, you know, like I won't regret a thing. Like I think any band in that time had a tough time trying to navigate you know, it was still a time when independent music wanted to be held on to and protected. Mm-hmm. People were still being called sellouts, you know, and, right. you know, wanted to hold bands to their own and keep them small. Or I found them first, you know, like that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, you were streaming and MP3s and the way we consumed music was changing. It was such a huge shift. And I mean, you know what? Like you get your shot when you get your shot. You know, when someone says, sure. hey, you're getting called, you're getting called to the majors, you get up there and you you do the best you can with what you got, you know? And I still kind of say like, there was no way that our label probably wasn't going to make us do this. So let's go for it. Never necessarily thinking or or intending it to have a bastardizing effect, but you know, that's neither here nor there. I still think if when people go back and consume that record and listen to it, they're like, man, these, these are great songs. It is different than Chroma. It is equally as expressive and experimental and creative and holds up in a completely different way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Sonically, regardless of, of, of a reality show. So, right. The record, I think, stands the test of time and becomes a part of the band's legacy more so than how it was recorded. And I think if I were in your situation, I probably would have taken the opportunity as well. Cause you're right. You don't know how many opportunities you're going to get. And you really have to weigh those as they come. Yeah. And I mean, different level altogether being on a major label, there's a lot of hands in the pot and you're trying to navigate that as much as you can as a young person. I mean, you're probably in your early twenties still, right? Yeah. I mean that we, we were in the bubble and I was 24. Okay. That was where we did it in like May, April, May. I would have turned 25 that October of 07. 
Wow. And yeah, so I mean, like, you know, we had only been in the professional major, you know, major label record business for a few months. And I will say there's very much like you do a lot of the work to, you know, how the first hill of the roller coaster is the biggest and the hardest to get up. Like that's kind of what bands or independent bands do. You know, you do so much, you have so much control, so much say you're doing so much work. You are steering the ship and drive, you built the ship, then you're steering the ship. You know, you have all that control. You get to that level and you kind of reluctantly, you just kind of go, all right, well, you're the professional, you do it. Right. And you sort of lose a little control, but you have a lot of faith. But then again, their jobs are to only make what works or what works work, you know? So like, if it doesn't work, they'll go to the next person at the same time. Okay. Like Chroma was getting a little a little long in the tooth. And honestly, it only gotten to around 18 on the top 40. So you're kind of, you didn't really break your, your close, but you need to kind of get back. You got to go bigger. So mm-hmm. when you weigh all those factors, variables, and influences, like you, you know, something like a television show on MTV is a pretty big deal. Absolutely. But it's also a very divisive move in the sense that if you didn't hear about us before, you can be very quick to judge. And if you had heard about us before and you don't really like where this is going by how you're exposing yourself, well, then you can also alienate. And so it's the gamble of the business and of the process and of the opportunities. And you kind of just are at the disposal of the whole thing saying, well, my intentions are good. And I hope people can read or see through or enjoy what this is in addition to not creating bias for the music, which I think ultimately and negatively happened. You couldn't see through the show to hear the music. And that's tragic or unfortunate. But nonetheless, like you said, the music has kind of outlasted the show. And I can still sense the trepidation that people have to even want to talk to us about it. You know, it's like, so this thing, you know, and it's like this elephant in the room and it's not to us, you know, like, sure. It was crazy. I, I still get to, to say, you know, I, I had a TV show on MTV, but the, the largest single, you know, needle moving thing in music history, you right. know, MTV was the gnarliest thing ever made, you know, and we had a television show on it. Like, yeah. That you can't take that away, no matter how silly or maybe corny it could have, should have, would have been. So absolutely, um, it's a wild, you really look at it and zoom out from it and look at all the contributing factors and where everything was, where everything was going, what you have to do. It was, you know, but in the end, it was four 30 minute episodes. The total of our TV show is the length of the opening episode to The Bachelor. (laughs) Yeah. The opening episode to a Bachelor Bachelorette season is two hours. That's right. the opening episode. That's how long our entire arc of the show was, the entire thing. So when you look at it, I think the things you would probably change would be length of episodes, number of episodes, and content of episodes. Sure. You know, and I think I, if you, you know, if we had a few things to do to do differently, we could have made it a success. I still think the premise needs to be discovered but now people can let you into their lives so easily now that it doesn't really matter you're all you're already there again this is before instagram right exactly you know before. you kind of have to go back and paint a picture and be like well how else did you get into people's lives and it's like you didn't <laughs> yeah you're right i forgot that it was only four episodes yeah. i mean just a tiny tiny 
120 minutes, career. but not even. I mean, like each episode's what 21, 22 minutes of a three right. minute TV show, 23 With commercials minutes. and advertisements, yeah. right? Which so MTV has a lot of. Yeah, times four. So, I mean, very, very minimal. You know, if you put that on a channel of a YouTube channel today, it would be nothing. You consume it in a night, right? In one it's sitting. Long. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I think, you know, it is something that is fascinating. Even now, I still watch band documentaries and I'm glued to the TV. I want to see part of their creative process. I want to see the dynamics, the history of the band. I think people still really, really care about that. So you're right. Like the premise makes perfect sense. And I think of a band like Blink-182, we liked watching those early Blink DVDs because they were so funny and they were real human beings that were in the creative process together and they were being funny. So absolutely, yeah, it doesn't always have to necessarily be the moments where the band's fighting each other. I'm sure that's very compelling for a lot of people too, but yeah. the creative process is very fun to watch. Yeah. So yeah, would, that's very they cool. would try to, they would try to like get us, they look at our, at all the bullshit. And I was like, guys, I was like, we just, I go, it's Oh seven. We've just spent the last three years cooped up together like this bus this bubble as you say is bigger than every bus it's bigger than every van and it's four times bigger than every dress room we've ever had like (laughs) we are so conditioned at the point of that show taking place that there really isn't anything weird about lack of spatial you know privacy or awareness any of it you know in the whole world felt like a daydream weird thing that like why not put us on tv like it just you know, and I was like, I, I then I wanted to tell him, like, hey, by the way, I've also known these guys since I was like 13 years old. Every fight we're going to have, we've already had it. Like, yeah. our coping mechanisms are incredibly strong. Like, we know each other and we know how not to get into positions that are A, going to cause irreparable damage or B, you know, like, make us look bad. So right. take the joke I just gave you and double down on it because we're hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, they should have leaned in more towards that, I think. I think that would have been... Yeah, I, I uh, think it's a missed opportunity on their behalf. And and the other part was they're like, yeah, like everyone in the press was like, you, so you guys have got to write and record a record in 20 days. And we're like, uh, yeah, we've already been like writing and recording this record. I don't know who told you that. You know, like there was kind of right. a misunderstanding of the of the pressure we were under. When yeah. in, in the end, like Epic owed us a recording budget. So we recorded 80, 85% of the record at tree sound yeah in, i remember them Studio telling us a. that yeah zach and ken they let us in on that little secret which made perfect sense you guys have I mean, recorded it, some of it it would have been a lot more there would have been a lot more pressure and a lot more fighting had we had to have constructed the whole thing in the record in the bubble the timing wouldn't have been an issue but just creating a sonically you know adequate space out of nothing would have been tough I recorded the intro to the fortunate. That was the only drums I recorded in the bubble. Yeah. I didn't do any, I knew anything <laughs> in 20 days. I didn't do jack shit. Um, okay. <laughs> but we, you know, it, it, on the positive side of that experience, like, you know, the whole thing to me was a positive experience. We wound up recording most of it in studio a, which was a blast with Zach yeah. and Ken and, you know, getting to do drums in that room. And I mean, everything attached to the second record, the self-title record was crazy fun and awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Studio A was a sight to behold. I loved yes, walking tight. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I remember we walked the in, there. in there. We had walked through and Zach mentioned the outcast. Hey, I was recorded there along with some yep. other just massive records. And I was just yeah. kind of blown I would, away. I but... would like, I would leave the studio at night as like Andre 3000 was like walking in. Yeah. 
I'd be like, oh, that's under three thousand. That's cool. <laughs> that's badass. Yeah, pretty cool. That is awesome. And then Cycles came out a couple of years after the self-titled record and you guys right. switched major labels. You went from Epic to Wind Up. Just curious. I love Cycles. It has some of my favorite cartel tunes. Chroma is one of my favorite records. I love that record front to back. But where did you guys record Cycles at? So we were only on Epic for the re-release of Chroma and then the one self-titled. So it was basically like a re-release and then everything after that was an option to pick up. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a mutual, like, if you guys aren't stoked, we'll just go. And they're like, okay, that's cool. You know, because you really need people that want to put in the effort to make it happen. Sure. So the cool thing about Wind Up in that time was, you know, they were the last independent label to really kind of hit the boom of CD sales. So mm-hmm. quite an influx of cash into the label in light of Creed success and definitely from like moving units. Same with Evanescence and Seether. You know, they had a very, alt midwest alt rock presence and definitely capitalized on the success of the label but was very aware of market trends in that time i think they had actually been a suitor of us before epic happened but in light of being on militia group and some of the ties that red distribution had in light of their ownership and in light of their partnership with sony you were kind of already in the sony farm league system if you will so like, it was really like, oh, we kind of have rights to them. So Windup was always a suitor to some extent. And they reached out and that happened at the same time. They were starting their own studio. Okay. So one of our kind of creative, they're they like, hey, like here's a producer and here's a producer. And we're fairly sensitive and had gained a lot of information at the time. And we're like, well, we've always been able to kind of really dot the I's and cross the T's ourselves. You know, most of the music we've ever done has been like, we write it. We're like, here it is. We're done. There's not much to produce, you know? Yeah. But they had an in-house engineer and sort of an in-house music supervisor who was a, a pretty successful songwriter. And between kind of all of us and within our budget and within them making a studio, we were like, hey, why don't we record this at the studio that the label's building. The other kind of mental, the philosophy attached to that was that there will be bias to our record from the record label and it's, you know, all the people who work there by saying, hey, this is the label's first completely in-house production. So we kind of knew if we did it with, if we saved some money, did it at this studio, they would love it even more. Just thinking like, okay, how would you think if it's like, oh, well, we all made it. So of course we love it. And that's what we did. And just kind of sat with the music supervisor, Greg Wattenberg, and the sort of in-house engineer who had worked with, I mean, all kinds of people. And that's kind of why it sounds so heavy and big. And yeah, just did a whole nother record. And then luckily got a whole nother fair shot with radio and kept our you know our name in the breath of everything for a little while longer and yeah cycles was cycles was fun because we got to, you know it was the first record we did in new york and like not at home and because even the first two records regardless of the bubble was still done in atlanta and this one was like we lived in new york for like six months and every day we went to the studio and i would say a lot more was crafted and decided and written and produced in the studio than our typical preparations but that's cool nonetheless so a completely different process than before in almost every sense of the word but i'm with you still has some completely different 
style and sound of tracks on that record than so anything before it. So even then, third record in, we're still trying to do what we want and push ourselves in certain directions and have fun our way. Yeah, push the sound a little bit. I remember there was a period of time where they were playing The Perfect Mistake quite a bit in rotation in Kansas Mm -hmm. City on a couple of radio stations. So it was cool to hear. And it did sound almost like a bit of a resurgence for the band a little bit. I think at that point, it did sound huge. Sonically, it just sounded massive. Did Ben Gross mix that? Is that his name? I would... uh... I will default to you on who makes okay. that. I, I do not I was know. looking it up actually before we chatted because he's, I think he's an underrated person who mixes, but he mixes really huge sounding records. He may have just mixed a few songs because I know Neil Avron, he mixed Let's Go. That's right. And I think That's he did one other song. They were like, oh, this we got Neil Avron to do it. And I was like, you know, I was like, I'm a drummer. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> You know, it is like that's awesome. We we were talking with certain producers that were kind of already. We always liked the idea of the small person who hadn't made it and their thirst to make it versus the the producer who's got the name and you know that they're going to them for that name, right? You know, like so we were getting some kind of like cool submissions and it would have been a really neat experience to try with them. Mm-hmm. But we never really wanted anyone on autopilot. And we're so afraid of that or so afraid of there being an ego on either side of the ball of who would fit what element into their mold. And in the end, it's like the producer's job to kind of take what we're doing and and make it better, not make it theirs. Yeah. So again, and kind of like in all the elements I described earlier, like we felt like we could create support within the label for the record by doing it completely in-house and thought they would want to really push. And so that's kind of how we, how we got there. That's smart from a strategic standpoint. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I mean, that makes perfect sense. That's smart of you guys, I think to do it that way. So that the label has total buy-in. Yeah. Like they're, they're going to want to push something that they've just done. They're going to think it's better than maybe it actually is. Like you're really creating subconscious support by making a few decisions that don't really change in the outcome for the band of the music yeah, you know so absolutely. we were, so that was again like we are not necessarily quite an artist's band like we're not like visit my cool clothes and you know we're all so <laughs> troubled you know like we grew up in such a great normal you know 90s world you know mm-hmm. 80s and 90s world that like we're just four like you know four friends that got super lucky you know and so yeah. We still had our wits about us and I think like our brains about us and the way that we approached certain parameters of the business while trying to keep integrity for the art at the same time. Comes from a pure place. Like you said, good intentions. I think true intentions come across in cartels music. As well as like, I mean, like, I don't want to record a record under like this maybe doubt of who we're doing it with, you know, or get into you know uncomfortable moments. I mean, like like we both experienced Zach and Ken, the comfortability is what allows creativity kind of flow and succeed. So it seemed like this was the logical decision to make and, and thus we did it. And again, like, I still think we got a very fair shot at radio. The Midwest took off, had a lot of success up in like the Michigan Great Lake Corridor, still did, I mean, it did a huge, you know, huge video for Let's Go out in California. So like, I mean, coming off of a somewhat difficult time with the second record, like we still got to stay in the breath and compete for market share, but you're still in the major league. So it was still super, super tough because I remember hearing let's go in between the Beyonce song and a Justin Timberlake song one night. And I went, God, (laughs) this is way different. And, (laughs) 
again, at the time that pop rock was sort of getting a chance because of what it had created as like a subgenre, you know, or like a subculture, yeah, the world was having a technical resurgence. The iPhone, you know, everyone having a PC, streaming MP3s, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. The, the digitization of our modern world and not just in the way that like the 70s and 80s were different from each other because technology was starting, like right. not expanding. It was like the genesis of most of it. So you take all of that in the time. And so like everything was going to be a little dancier, cleaner, polished, poppier, uh, sure. like just straight synth, like synthetic pop, which is fine because I'm a sucker for pop. But, you know, like as a band that almost leaned, that was a very analog, like rock, you know, like, you know, two guitars, a bass and a singer and drums, like it wasn't really the time for it. So again, so, I mean, like it's like, an element for sure. It, it is like, you just saw that shift almost as soon as we got our shot and we we're like, I just don't know if this is going to be can be as big as we want it to be. I think it's just going to. And so I think sometimes like the smaller that things stayed after us, the better they did. Like did Mayday ever have on the radio success? No, but they succeeded so successfully within our genre that it was likely more impactful in the long run. So yeah, just two different roads to a similar place. It goes deeper instead of just wide superficial. For sure. Yeah. It maintains that level of independent where the person who holds on to it, it can still be theirs. Yeah. It could be something that they really latch onto for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think during that time period too, Cyclist came out in 2009. I think of 2009, 2012, that was a bit of a confused era for music. I would say if you look at, I mean, take a look at us, acceptance, starting line, Mm -hmm. newfound. I mean, like a lot of these bands that, were pushed to major labels by the independent labels they were on and they were sold and, and bought and, and all this stuff. And then shortly kind of after you didn't see those things really coming true and the, and the sort of status of the world that we were existing in found a little more footing, you could do what all time low was doing and sort of, you know, again, maybe parade was sort of opening for them and, and channeling some of that. I think that those situations marinated longer in the junior world and created stronger roots to weather any type of storm, no matter how it developed both in the independent underground idea or the biggest, largest venues in the world. So I think people found a better way to succeed without having to say, you've got to be on a major label and it's got to be like this. You know, that was just old logic with new product and it just didn't work. I think that's intuitive and interesting that you put it that way. And it makes me wonder if the double-edged sword that is streaming these days, I think that has probably really helped a band like those bands that you mentioned, not just an acceptance or newfound glory, but cartel as well to just stay within the forefront of that subculture. People who still listen to your records all the time, you know, I think that it just makes it more accessible and things like that. And, And maybe that's why cartel, can be a band very similar to a band like Mayday Parade. You guys don't have a huge separation as far as your fan base goes these days. And you can go out on tour with them and it could be a huge package and a lot of people are going to show up and, and come out to see that. And you guys you guys haven't released new music since, is it 2013 with Collider? Yeah. And then, and- very exciting, a new Cartel song. Yeah, we did it. You did it. <laughs> and it's freaking phenomenal. I love it, man. Hey, thanks. I love it, dude. It's uh, rad. It's great. 17 is awesome. It came out last week. Was it Friday or am I? Yes. On the 15th. Yeah. 
Okay. Time is just moving. Yeah. It I've is. listened to it at least 50 times since then. It's, it <laughs> sounds great. And Will, you know, I've been following his career trajectory with recording bands. I love all the things he's done with Newfound Glory with the cover EP that he did with them and then the deluxe right. edition songs. So he's getting very well versed in recording as I'm sure you have over the years. So he felt confident in recording this. He tracked yeah. everything, right? So he did. I mean, and he also he also tracked Collider. That's right. Yes. Okay. Cool. Very cool. And then Zach and Ken mixed it. Is that what? Correct. Zach and Ken. Yeah. Zach and Ken mixed it. And that's impressive. Him tracking all the yeah. He and everything. he had always been that guy that was in like you know the first officer's chair, if you will. Like you're saying, if you will, a bunch. I'm realizing that, but uh, he was very into. He was taking notes. Absolutely. With every process that we were going through and learning, he was there studying. And so he very much like we came a little bit of time before Collider and he was with Zach and Ken at their other studio, like interning with them and like learning with them and just pushing the buttons with them. And then they went on a vacation. They're like, Hey, we're going out of town for two weeks. And we're like, can we have the studio? And they're like, yeah, we'll give it to you for rent. So like, I think we paid their studio rent for that month and they gave it to us for like 20 something days, maybe two weeks. That's so rad. And then he, yeah, he sat in the chair and he and Joseph and like, we all just like, we just crushed a record together. And it was like, no bias, you know, like no songwriters, no, no outside, no nothing. We just wrote a record and just ran and recorded it and put it out ourselves. And it was, if you listen to Collider, it's very much a kind of a goodbye to everything. Mm-hmm. it definitely kind of sounds like you've been through three records of bullshit or at least learning. And some of it's like, Hey, this is, this is like, this is the end. If you really yeah. like, especially if you listen to the very last song, like the very last thing will says it's, you know, it's kind of telling like, all right, like we're bringing this thing in for a landing. And then which is kind of like, it's been nine years, but the bigger point that I could say to all things is that like everything we've done has been what we've wanted to do. So like, we wanted to do an EP and then we wanted to do full lengths. And then we wanted to take some time off. And we wanted to do another full length. And we wanted to like get off the road and get out of music and like, you know, build separate lives and do different things and then use the opportunity to kind of fill the, fill the love tank, you know, like put some more gas in it and not be forced to do anything. And then I think you start doing other things away from music and just like everyone else in this world, you start to miss it. And oh, yeah. then, and then you come back and you're, a lot more refreshed, but there's also like, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do, you know? So there's not any pressure. It's just, well, what is, what does new cartel sound like? And I would never say that like we, the one thing that I I think every band wants to avoid is being the best ripoff band of themselves. You don't want to be like, well, they sound like just a really good cartel ripoff band. You know, like a friend of mine was like 17 degrees. Like it's such a different energy than you guys normally have. And I was like, well, we're almost 40, you know, like it's, (laughs) it might not be as bombastic and driving, you know, on the, on the start, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like Will went from, you know, doing collider and kind of getting his feet wet to then like doing a ton of stuff in Newfound Glory and a lot of other artists around Nashville and just the country and has always been a nice a great resource for the band to be able to step in whenever we want to, to do something. And it just so happened that it was like some of these texts started flying. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, what are you doing? Like, what do you want to do? You know, Red. you know, going out to the garage and pulling the car cover off the, the old thing and saying like, will it crank, you know, let's see what we got. And, you know, again, like, like I said, kind of earlier, like you put us in a room together and put us around one another, like 
so naturally what flows out of us is just, you can just call it cartel. And again, throughout the stuff we've put out, I would say the wide range of types of songs we've done, like have positioned ourselves in, in a way that we can really put out whatever we want, I think. And I think people want to hear it. Absolutely. The song, it does sound differently, I think, than some of your earlier stuff. But at the same time, it's very much cartel. I think the thread of cartel is absolutely there. Will's very characteristic voice, amazing voice still shines through. And yeah, it's great. It's a great single. I've been listening to it a ton. Yeah, thanks. So it's nice to hear a band put something out after so many years and it still feel fresh and feel new and feel rejuvenated. And you guys aren't just going through the motions. Like you said, you don't have to do this. Like you can play these shows that you're playing and everybody's going to sing along to the songs that you've put out. You know what I mean? But it's still very nice for the fans, myself included, to hear some new material. I'm sure you guys will play 17 at subsequent shows and things like that. How did the tour come about? I mean, that's a pretty badass tour. It's a pretty stacked yeah, package like, with Dashboard yeah, like, uh, and Andrew McMahon. Things just kind of wind up getting put across, you know, our desk, if you will, like to be like, hey, like you guys do this, you know, and, you know, accomplishing tour in any in any capacity is such a machine takes such a an amount of time and, and consideration and logistics to to pull it off it's nice that you're getting like reputable bands that understand your place in where everything sits in the world you yeah. know and and like say hey like you guys want to do two weeks of shows and it's like absolutely yeah. you know um, can make that happen yeah like that's right? that's easy for us to do you know like we can all push pause and, and, and like reposition our lives for two weeks to go have some fun and play some shows, you know, and it's all just capable to do. And then maybe who knows, like, I don't know if there's going to be more touring or longer touring because we're not really in plan ahead style Mm -hmm. movements, you know, right now, like there's just something we kind of just go, Hey, if you want us to play somewhere and we can literally make it happen, we'll do it. We'll consider it. So we, we love, Andrew McMahon, I mean, and, and, and Chris and Dashboard, like all the guys, like we, we kind of have a, a knowledge of one another and like have hung in similar circles for so long that it's so easy to be like, hey, you guys would be a great thing here. And we go, sure. So we're super excited to kind of get out and actually play some shows, like not just festivals, but like in some more intimate rooms and maybe even some bigger rooms and see what the response is, you know, like kind of taking it back to what we were talking about. There is a in the end, the positivity of where music and technology went is that if you wanted to discover an old band 20 years ago, you had to go hope to buy a record or burn it or copy it or steal it or do something, you know. But now that literally almost every song ever written, recorded and released is in one spot, it's a cohesive place to dig around and find out or even just stay, you know, like at a certain amount of relevance. I've had people be like, man, even I, I don't get it. What's that? And I was like, well, not to date myself, but like getting into the early 2000s, you would go to 80s night. Yep. You know, like we would go dance at 80s nights and just listen to like take on me and dance like idiot. We were in a Howard Hughes movie. Absolutely, man. And yeah. so like everyone's like, what? I'm like, listen, like this is just a little subculture that existed that kind of has, you know, people are bringing back in some way, shape or form. It will not be this forever 
But lo and behold, look what happened. You, you, what was a part of what was our present and you know, what was our past and our history and like we lived it is now this sort of set in stone appreciated thing that lives in its own way, much like 60s music and classic rock and alternative and grunge. You have this emo genre that exists of these 50s, you know, some odd 60 bands that made enough of an impact with such a small market that it lives on. And that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And so like, it's allowing us to revisit it all and still allows everyone to put something out or be creative or get out there and still make it be alive and well. I mean, like with Furnace Fest last year, I could not believe they got that many bands that were seemingly much, much, much smaller than, you know, the world that we lived in, like in the warped world, you know, mm-hmm. to get out there and do that. So yeah. I'm kind of often surprised that we are able to see so many bands from the last, you know, 18 to 20 years still be able to exist in some way that, that they view as you know, obtainable. And it's celebrated too. I think that's really cool. I mean, just the prospect of you guys playing in front of a crowd, a dashboard crowd, let's say of, you know, 10,000 people. Well, I think 95% of those people are going to know, honestly, they're going to know your songs. So I think that's pretty cool and pretty special in and of itself. And yeah, I remember watching the videos of Furnace Fest last year. I watched a band like Beloved, a heavier band I loved to see the crowd, just how enthusiastic they were, not only at the show, but just leading up to it. It was the anticipatory nature of the fact that Beloved's getting back together to play this show. And then they put out a single. I mean, it's just, it's cool. It's exciting, but you're right. It is part of the subculture that as time gets away, it almost grows somehow. It becomes more cemented with time. And you guys were a huge part of that. So I think that's really cool. It's wild to think about that. Like that, you know, something you just hoped you could pull off with your buds, you kind of did. And then not only did you kind of do it, but you're somewhat cemented in that world and included, which is, you know, beyond flattering and kind of makes you look back on the whole thing incredibly fondly and mm-hmm. think of all the, the things you did and the memories you've got and the experiences you had and the friends you made and to see them to this day. And, and all of us kind of just feel like the real friendships were like, you don't really talk all that often, but when you see each other, it's like no time's passed. Right. And to really watch not only like the existing audiences that are right there with me and you at 38 and 39 years old, but, you know, some of them have kids. Some of them are younger brothers and sisters that maybe didn't get to see it happen, but were that record that you stole, you know, or the iPod you stole, you know, and you like (laughs) found a whole nother thing of music and, and especially like in a discovery time, like when you're finding music, it's, it's never better than when you find it, you know, like, yeah. because it's like love for the first time you're like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. And so, yeah. you know, new music or music in general, when you discover it, whatever it may be is always special to you. So yeah. I'm somewhat fortunate that things developed in a way that they did that allow this genre to be, to continue and to be celebrated. Yeah. And you're still doing it, which is badass. And you're doing it on your own terms, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So the fact that you get to push pause on your life, I think at this point, it's probably cool because you probably have people around you that are like, oh yeah, you're going to go on tour with Dashboard and Andrew McMahon for two weeks. Yeah. We're going to help you make that happen because that's cool as hell. You know, like we're going to rally around you and make sure that all the shifts are covered and everything's taken care of. You said you own a bar. I mean, yeah, I I would imagine there's people who are like in your corner that are going to help you facilitate that, the logistics of it and everything. 
it's it's wild because I'll you know I, I'm just focused on my day to day and cartel is sort of always a common denominator in my life. We're just like it's there every day, like no matter what. And but it's you know not like that's like my focus. It's just a part of me. And then I'll do this thing or I'll interview someone and we talk about maybe working at the bar and what do they do and blah 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 blah. And then I'm like, yeah, cool man, good good conversation. And then they'll email me like a couple hours later and they're like, okay, I had no idea you were in cartel. Like what? <laughs> like, huh? You know, like the worlds will cross or collide, you know, from time to time. And, or my oh, staff's sorry. like, why'd that person take a photo of you? And I was like, don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> don't worry about it. That's awesome. It's so, super humorous. That's right, man. Yeah. That's very cool. I was going to ask you, are there any plans to do more tunes you guys have more tunes that are in the can that might be coming out you know what i'll say is that um you know kind of like we we don't have to do anything and we're definitely just like what's this look like you know it's kind of like uh we're definitely interested i think like waking the beast up is the exciting part and 17 is definitely like that focus like you've got one you know like no one ever just has like one cookie right so you know or one it's Exactly. Like, you know, once you pop, you can't stop. (laughs) You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more to come, but I think right now just sort of, you know, like seeing what it takes to get a song out is been rewarding and fulfilling. And it's so strange, like putting a song out and having, I remember putting out music and then like everyone was just like ready to judge. you. And I feel like at this point with a little more sort of scope and clarity of what, what we are, what we're trying to do, what we're not trying to do. Like people just kind of celebrate it. You know, I don't think people are like, fuck this new song, you know, like no one's, <laughs> no one's really out to hate you, you know, like no one has to listen to it. You can listen to anything you want, but I think a lot of people are really, they've been really like complimentary and nice about putting out something new. And, you know, it's, you never, you never really get comfortable with doing something creative that you love and enjoy with your friends and then literally just say, here you go. Want to share it? And they're like, and then they can just so go, boo, (laughs) you know? So there is, and as well as being a little distanced from that pressure and worry um, of putting out a new song and seeming like this, like the response we've gotten has been overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive, which makes you feel good. And it kind of, it charges the batteries and definitely pushes the whole thing further in the direction of possibly doing more music. Yeah. I love that. And it's just, it's life-giving. Cause like you said, you don't have to do it. It's because you want to do it. And I'm writing new tunes with my old, old band and let's go. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's just been such a fun process. And you know, these days it's for the act of creating the art of creating. And so, like you said, it's nice to have an overwhelmingly positive reaction to it, but I would imagine it's also just fun to be creative again and hang out with your friends and put out music, you know, like you did when you first started. I mean, like to some extent, you know, you have to be your biggest fan. I think the most exciting part of ever being in a band is there's a moment when it's just yours. Mm-hmm. and like can you imagine being michael jackson and like quincy jones and like thrillers done and they're the only two people who've ever heard the whole thing <laughs> you know like i i talk about that a lot and as someone like you who's kind of been through the recording process you know the process from start to finish some of the coolest parts are when it's yours it's just yours and like you kind of get to be a fan of this work you know and 
what you did and, and how you got there. And then you kind of go, all right, well, like, let's put it out there. And, right. and then it becomes a completely different rewarding thing for a completely different set of reasons, because everyone gets to, you know, find it special for their own reason. Absolutely. And definitely like when you do that, you want more of it, you know, but it's, it's a little harder to do and sure. a little easier to do, you know, than it used to yeah. be. It's different to do for myriad of reasons. Right. But um, I think the thing that we as cartel kind of sit back most days and are happy about is that seemingly don't have any ghosts, you know, or unfinished business in the music business. I don't think we have, you know, we came out unscathed in terms of collateral damage or, you mm-hmm. know, damage to each other. And so I live in such peace knowing that like, I mean, Will and I are texting, we text almost every day. That's great. And, and we're, and like, we don't, we'll go months. We'll just, we'll just, we'll play golf. Like when I do this thing, how's mm-hmm. the kid? How's your new house? He's like, I need a new car. I'm like, let's talk about it. <laughs> and then we'll, and then we'll randomly be like, oh yeah, I forgot. We got to talk about cartel stuff. You know, like, <laughs> right. um, you know, even Joseph, like guitar player, he's, he's out with third eye blind and taking back Sunday. And like, he'll, he'll be in Nashville like next week and we get to hang. And cool. so you know, like I'm getting married in November and then we all get to hang, you know? So it's like, Very cool. congratulations, yeah, man. Thanks. Yeah. You too. You know, it's uh, it's just like, we're just so lucky to still be f- such good friends and have that always, which is what we had before. And not everyone walks out of this with kind of what they had plus some. So yeah. I definitely say that like we walked away from the table up, you know, we've got our chips in our hands and I think we'll be smart about how we play future hands they might not be as big a bets you know but i think that we definitely hope to stay at the table you know intermittently but for a long time yeah some good analogies there i'm full i'm full of them (laughs) (laughs) that's great man i mean it really it makes perfect sense when you put it that way i think you're right you get to hang out at the table and you get to play for fun and it doesn't have to be like major bets where you're yeah we're we're not trying to pay our light bill you know like we're not (laughs) trying to like you know, recapture some sort of old glory or, or beat a dead horse or, you know, yeah. visit something because we have to. And, you know, I think that focus for any band past, present and future is maybe a valuable lesson. You know, I think that there needs to be that authenticity of why you're doing it and making sure that certain external forces aren't driving, you know, aren't driving that, but also the fulfillment and the reason why is there. And, and that's difficult for all bands to do. Not everyone in a band post band wants to do the band again, you know? So it's, it's hard to sort of stay through it unscathed, you know, like, but here we are. Well, dude, this has been a really fun, illuminating conversation. I've really enjoyed it. So I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Of course. The prospect of getting new cartel is always exciting, but in the meantime, everybody should definitely check out 17 if they haven't already. Do it. Yeah. And then I was looking up the dates today, but it escapes me. When does that dashboard tour start? Is that a couple months it, from now or a month from now? It is. Yeah. I think they started. Let me check. It is. We start the cartel dates are August 16th through okay. August 27th. Okay. It's about a month away. Very cool. Yeah. So Dude, we're doing Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Virginia, Charlotte, Atlanta, Austin, Dallas, and Tulsa. Awesome. Killer. Yeah. That'll be so, so much fun. Yeah, we're stoked to get back out there and just see just see people. And everyone's like already checking in, being like, like the song, and when are you coming up here? And I'm like, oh shit, like here we go. 
you know, it's, it stinks that you can't get everywhere, but again, it's, you know, you, you don't want to stay, we can't just get back to heavy lifted after doing none. You know, we, sure. we kind of got to build up to it. And I hope that there are opportunities out there for us to, to get out and about to kind of all the corners and all the spaces that we've, you know, had such a good response and enjoyed playing in for all these years and see people that we've, we've kind of known and become, I feel like every fan or person who's appreciator had a moment with cartel is special to me. I'm always like, Hey, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately I think bands have so much more in common with their fans. They really realize, you know, like you kind of both love the same thing. Yeah. It's not a, it's not as one way street as I think people make it out to be. Absolutely. So yeah, we're, we're, we're really hoping to get out there, but I mean like, you know, we'll, we'll see. Cool. Awesome. We did it. Right. Well, cool, man, dude. Thank you again for chatting with me today. It's been really fun. My pleasure. Thanks for asking uh, me to do it. I appreciate it. Of course, dude. Yeah. And if you guys come back to Lawrence, Kansas, I'll, I'll hit you up. I'll shoot you a message. Dude, if, yeah. If we, uh, if we come through, please hit me up. We'll take care of you. And I don't know how far Tulsa is away, but if you want to come there, hit me up. But uh, Okay. I will. Yeah. Hey, Tulsa's not, a great we'll... area too. It's about three and a half hours from here. So See, it's not, not bad. It's kind of a drive, but I mean, you know. Yeah. I'm I'll, used to I'll it. Cover, I'll cover the tickets. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Dude, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Have a great night. Have a great rest of your week. And I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, brother. All right. See you, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be incredible. I'd really appreciate it. Wherever you listen to podcasts, another thing you could do would be to share this podcast with a friend, anyone who enjoys this type of music or personal development in general. All right, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Hopefully, you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. Take care, and I'll talk to you later. So close.